0: This is Casey Kasem on American Top 40 in Hollywood.
1: I was listening to that, and I'm like, wouldn't that be cool to work on that show, right? Next thing I knew, I'm reading thousands of long-distance dedications.
0: Listen to this letter from a man in Mansfield, Ohio, from a teenage girl in Idaho, from a woman in Kuala Lumpur.
1: They sure sound a lot better when he reads them, by the way.
0: Careers rarely follow a straight path, but our guest today is proof that sometimes that path can wind towards some interesting stops.
1: And this is when most people that have an accounting career would be working in public accounting. And I was working on radio shows.
0: But her career managed to get even more interesting.
1: I'd worked a few different places, one of which was a circus. Full screen was one of my favorite jobs.
0: And now she finds herself somewhere completely different.
1: I'm the CFO of Nifty's, which is a NFT platform, Web3, it's digital collectibles. We have partnerships with Warner Brothers and Sony, so we do all the NFTs for Looney Tunes and Matrix and Game of Thrones. My name is Elaine Bogart.
0: Join us in learning about the life of Elaine Bogart and how her various experiences make her an inspirational financial leader.
1: If you're worried about failure, don't worry about it. Everybody has failures and you'll learn from it. The perception out there is not what it really is. It's not all boring. It sounds like it would be boring. Like, ooh, CFO, how boring. But no, it's not.
0: My name is Danielle Keevan. Let's uncover the hidden stories of finance professionals as they navigate money, investment, and growth. Let's look into the person behind the CFO title. Let's go beyond the budget. Before we get into the episode, if you enjoy the show, please leave a five star review of the podcast wherever you listen. It helps out the whole Paddle Studio scene tremendously and lets us continue to uncover the hidden stories of CFOs. Our story begins in sunny Southern California, but as you'll hear from Elaine, the weather isn't always as you'd typically expect and pay close attention to what she says about the kinds of books she would read as a kid.
1: I was born and raised in uh, Torrance, California, which is South Bay, outside of Los Angeles. I uh, moved around. I, uh, I went to school at UCLA and raised my kids up in Santa Clarita Valley in Valencia and re- recently moved back to the South Bay to Redondo Beach. Not recently. I guess actually about seven years ago. And wondering why I left. I, you know, I was a dumb teenager when I left. Like I gotta get out of from being at home, and yeah, it's a beautiful here when I was a teenager, I tried so hard to get tan, you know, like and and look at me, I don't get tan, I get burnt, but like I my friend would always get tan. I'm like, well, am not tan so and so dumb back in those days, baby oil all over, you know, no sunscreen. So dumb, never listened to my mom on that ever, not once. And she was right, not be out in the sun that much. have all the freckles now to prove it. But um, the the thing too about living at the beach is that it's very foggy and overcast a lot in the morning. And when I was a kid, I was like, I hate this place, it's always cloudy. And then I moved to the Santa Cruz Valley where it's like a million degrees. So I'm back now where it's sometimes cloudy. And I like it. As a kid, I spent a lot of time in my room as a big reader, like Nancy Drew and and Who It's and things like that, Mysteries, The Hardy Boys, Encyclopedia Brown, all those kinds of figuring stuff out books. Not good at sports. I wish I could say I was a kid that excelled at sports and I was super popular and all that. But I was quiet and I was super shy. Yeah, I read a lot. I still do. I haven't changed much.
0: Elaine's mystery novel interest and fascination with process will be something that comes up later on in the podcast. But now, let's turn to Elaine's false start as a Hollywood star.
1: I was a really shy kid, but I was cute back then. And I was the only blonde in our family, in our whole extended family. And um, so so, anyway, my mom got it in her mind. I had an aunt or a distant aunt that was a uh, talent agent. And my mom decided that I should read for this aunt and then i would be famous we went there which it was a big ordeal for my mom to get you know four kids in the car and drive all the way out there And so we get there and i was like 4 years old i i'm like what's going on i have no idea right so we get in there and and uh the talent agent said okay look in this mirror and you know make believe talk to this mirror make believe and i'm like i wouldn't say a word i was just a silent i refused to say anything and my mom's like you hey, like talk talk and i'm like i thought i'd do this i would not talk for the, my entire life now I have heard about how I could be a famous actress except that I would not talk to the mayor. A failure at four years old.
0: While she may not have appeared in any movies or TV shows, Elaine stayed close to La La Land, choosing to attend UCLA. But finance had yet to enter her focus. Elaine found herself pondering career moves when she heard something while laying on the beach that would change her life forever.
1: Yeah, I decided to go to UCLA because it was a big, prestigious school and it was far enough away from home so that I wasn't at home. But it wasn't too far away that I couldn't go home if I needed to go home. I, As a quiet kid, you know, I look back on it and, and now I'm thinking I should have taken advantage of a lot more of the opportunities that happened there. Like when my kids were in college, I'm like, you should do this, you should do that. And whereas I didn't do any of those. The way I got into American Top 40, I thought of it. I and mean, I was laying at the beach one day, you know, and like, what am I going to do with my life? Kind of saying I need to get a job. What are we doing here? I was listening to that and I'm like... Wouldn't that be cool to work on that show, right? I wrote to the producer of American Top 40, Dom Asani. I just said, I would love to work on your show. Do you have any openings? I'll be an unpaid intern. I'll do anything. It'll be fun. I didn't expect to ever hear anything back. He, he called me back and he's like, come on in. And next thing I knew, I'm reading... Thousands of long-distance dedications. People would write into the show with their, you know, their lonely heart song, and they wanted to write a letter to the girl from high school or whatever. They'd write their long story, and Casey would read some of them on the air. So the interns production assistants, had to go through thousands of these that came in and pick out the ones that we thought would sound good on the air, you know, or that were long, a good enough story. So that's what I did. I did hours and hours and hours of reading uh, long distance dedications. And they sure sound a lot better when he reads them, by the way. He really knew what he was doing. So I did that for um, until I until I graduated. And then they hired me to be, so ABC Radio Networks hired me to, to do operations and distribution of the, of all their radio shows, their syndicated radio shows. And that. Then we distributed them on vinyl. And now vinyl's coming back. Literally mailed mailed four records to each radio station. That's how long ago this was.
0: It was around this time that Elaine moved towards the finance world. But as you can probably guess by now, it was not a linear path. See if you can pinpoint the moment she made the career switch as we hear about her journey from radio to finance and how her job experience gave her a high-level view of the entire business.
1: I was at ABC for a while and this is when most people that have an accounting career would be working in public accounting. And I was working at on radio shows. I had no interest, I not even a nothing, no interest in accounting. In fact in college, one of my friends, we were work we had on campus jobs, and uh, she's like, Come over in here work with me in accounting and I'm like counting oh my gosh i would never do that and to this day she makes fun of me for that she's like you are now a certified public what so i worked at abc for a while um then there was a a, they got bought the big management shuffle i ended up going into uh doing some special events marketing marketing and events and i did that i'd worked a few different places one of which was a circus. One of the companies, one of the small events companies I was working for asked me to also do their books. And I'm like, okay, how hard can that be? And it was really small, so it was not hard at all. I'm like, well, this is pretty easy if I ever needed a part-time something, whatever. I didn't really think about it again until a few years later, when after I had gotten married and had, had my first child, I'm like, wow, I can't be doing special events right now. This, there's too, I can't do that. I need something that's a little more in one place. So I started just doing the books for individual. Companies I worked I kind of partnered with a CPA who needed someone to do books for all these different companies that he did their taxes for. So it was kind of fun because I worked for a lot of different kinds, all different kinds of companies, doing their books and stuff. And then there was one company that hired me part time, and, and as my kids got older, I kind of increased my time with them. With that company, became full time, kind of moved up. I also had got along the way, got my my MBA. I wasn't just like, coming in cold. Kind of progressively moved up, and then at one of the companies, then when I left and became a full-time controller. I went back, one of the guys was making fun of me. He's like, why don't you have your CPA license? And I'm like, you know, I don't, I never, I don't know. No reason. And he's like, okay, I'll see you working at Walmart. <laughs> I made some kind of re- some kind of mean remark. I went back and I got my license. Super hard, by the way. I got that. And um, yeah, and then just continued the path up to being a, a CFO. Yeah, it's definitely non-traditional. It actually didn't feel like a big responsibility. It felt easy. And I just kind of had an aptitude for it, I think. And I think that kind of is why my career went in that direction. Because to this day, I have to like be hands-on and see every little thing. I'm like, wait, what is that journal entry? Who, who booked that? I still have my fingers in it very hands-on. I, it didn't feel pivotal. It just kind of felt natural. There's a lot of overlap. You would think that there's no overlap between those things, but being in charge of operations and distribution at a radio network, you still are worried about cash in and cash out and, and all of that and hitting the numbers and you're in the production. And likewise, even with the circus, there was a lot of financial pieces of that. In fact, it was probably more financial than marketing if you really like broke it all apart one of the things that I really like about being in finance is that you see everything you see every little piece of an organization all the things that are happening I think for me anyway my background in marketing and operations and all these different things kind of help me see what other teams are going through so that when I say why did you spend all that money and they say well I had to do this big marketing campaign I know what they're talking about I understand what they're saying I still like that still too expensive cut it but I have a better understanding because I've lived through all of those things it's helpful for me It served me well
0: from radio to the circus to special events Elaine had finally landed in the finance world we'll next hear about one of her first finance jobs and then what she learned growing the finance team from one as an early member of fullscreen
1: My first interview for like a real finance job was for a controller role. Actually, to be honest, I don't remember the... F- first one because I didn't get that job. I probably don't remember the first five because I didn't get those jobs. But the one that I did get, it was a big step up for me at the time. It was a much bigger company than I had been working for. I had to convince the CFO that I was up to it. And but without sounding too, please. It was a pretty personable interview. So I was happy about that. But still, I felt like there's no way. He hired me. He was great. He told me later on, after I'd been working there for a while, that it was between me and one other candidate. And he said the other candidate was more qualified. But he thought I would be, I would fit with the team better. I'd be better to work with. And I'm like, thank. You. I'm not sure how to take that. But he was great. That company was really upped my game tremendously. It, it was a big step up, but it was also a company that didn't have very good and had a horrible finance stack. Like it, finance's own software didn't talk to each other. Everything had to be done manually. It really learned those debits and credits, got those down cold. We had some, Sa- it wasn't called SaaS then. We did have some annual recurring revenue, annual subscri- or subscriptions that we invoiced every month or annually or what have you. It was a little bit be- before its time. Fullscreen was one of my favorite jobs. It was tiny when I started. There were maybe six or seven, just a handful of us. And um, we were in this tiny little office. The founder, George, had grand ideas and and it just, grew like a rocket ship. It was just at the perfect time, the the perfect business model at the perfect time for everything just came together. And it was really fun for me because, you know, being putting media and tech and accounting together, I'm like, this is everything I love, right, in a career. And I got to build the accounting team from one from part of one cuz I was part time at first and then then we you know we grew as the as the revenue as the company grew and we had numerous different revenue streams we had the mcn the revenue share from the mcn but we also had where we charged brands and networks to manage their youtube presence there were several different revenue streams and all earned out differently and all had different costs associated with them that had their own structures and uh, it it was fun it was and it was growing so fast it was it definitely my favorite job so far.
0: After gaining experience building up a finance team, Elaine's next step would bring her to the title of CFO. As we'll learn next, it's a title that comes with a lot of expectations and some not so fair assumptions. The first
1: time I had the CFO title was P3, which was a relatively small uh, third-party logistics company that kind of, they distributed trailers for the movie studios as well as things for companies and brands. And they were acquired by Deluxe. Yeah, the sample title is important to me. I guess I feel like it's not the top of the mountain, as you say, but it kind of gives credibility. It it kind of is the ascent of my career, right? That's where I wanted to go. There's still more. There's still way more mountain to climb. There's still board seats and, you know, public companies. There's more to climb. But it it did make me feel kind of more comfortable that I had achieved to that level, at least. And then still more to go, though. Most people think of... CFOs as CF no. I mean, that's something I've heard a lot. CFOs are boring and they're just only about the numbers and kind of the green eye shade thing they used to call it, you know, where you're like not personable. I'm just kind of in the room by yourself, crunching numbers all day. I think that's probably the idea that most people have of a CFO that haven't actually, you know, worked very closely with CFOs. I know a lot of CFOs, and we could be personable, we could be friendly, but also the the role takes on so much more than just the numbers. It's it's really over. It's really taking care of the whole organization, being integrated into everything that happens, making sure that everything is gap compliant, but and you know, fraud proof, and also just done in the A good way a nice way a moralistic way there's there's just there's so many layers and and a lot of the cf like a lot of my roles and probably other cfos out there it you do more than just you you also oftentimes are over hr and operations and admin and legal There's, there's a lot of different teams that sometimes report up to the cfo so it's it's way more than just the numbers finance is always solving problems before people know they exist and looking out for problems that might come along down the way and a lot of times that could be misunderstood by others that aren't familiar. They're like, no, it's fine. And you're like, no, 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 I can see four steps ahead and it's not fine. Definitely, you always have to be looking. There's just so many things to look out for. You're responsible for, you have a fiduciary responsibility to keep your company safe, right? You, you have to minimize risk as much as you can. And so you have to always be looking ahead. Obviously we look behind too to report the numbers that already happened, but also there's a lot of risk that you need to really make sure you're not gonna run into any trouble.
0: One of the hardest parts of being a CFO is when hard economic times result in a reduction of force. But it's not as simple as you might think. As Elaine puts it, they sometimes have to assume the bad guy title, even if it might not be entirely fair.
1: I think what a lot of people don't understand is not the CFO making that decision in a vacuum. There's a whole team of people who are making those, those choices. And in, in my experience, I'm not the one selecting this person, that person, <laughs> the other person. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, here's our pile of money. How are you going to allocate it, right? And then the, the different department heads and managers and CEOs and such make the difficult choices. And I think that gets blamed on the CFO sometimes, which is fine. I mean, that's what we're here for. That's fine. But also in my experience, there has not been a reduction in force that hasn't come with ton of thought and a ton of planning and nobody wants to do it it's put off and put and no one wants to do it I don't want to do it nobody does so there's a lot of thought and planning that goes into it and I think sometimes maybe it it looks like there's not as much thought and planning because inevitably things come up you say like here's the people that unfortunately we're parting ways with and then something will happen and it'll be oh no we can't do you know and it just all changes I think that might be why some people might have that perception I don't think that's happened in any of the companies that I've worked with because I work usually with smaller ones. But yeah, a lot of thought goes into those. I I hope those people don't think that uh, management is just saying, nah. Yeah. And you mentioned how sometimes it, it seems cold from my vantage point. That is often because of legal, for legal purposes. you can't say this, you can't say that. In fact, just don't say anything, right? It's like you're in such a box. Don't be friendly with them. I assume even as you get into bigger companies, it's probably even more like that, where you have to be for legal purposes. And that's really a shame
0: remember Elaine's initial interest in mystery novels and examining processes as a kid? She's found herself in a familiar place at the head of the finance team. She'll explain in detail shortly, but notice the full circle that the windy path has taken her.
1: Processes Super important for a CFO. I mean, I have to know where things came from, what happened to it, and how it got to there, right? And I need to be putting in process to make sure that all the right things are going in, and then the right thing is coming out at the end. But yeah, definitely interested in in process. And I, I think I would say about my career, the different you mentioned the different kinds of roles I've I've taken is I take roles that just seem interesting to me, something that I want to learn about. That's why I got into Web three and the NFT platform. I'm like. That's super cool. I'd like to learn about that. How do those companies work? And then, then the whole crypto thing. And the, but a lot of it is I, I like working with um, with uh, companies that do really interesting things, especially like new technologies and things like that. I like change. It was definitely a very windy path. That not the path I recommend. I told my son. Two years public accounting, and then I didn't. I didn't tell him to join a circus or anything like that. When I'm giving advice, I always tell people do the two years of public, and then go wherever you want to go because it's just really good to have that. But I didn't do that because at that time I didn't know I was even going to be an accountant. If you're thinking maybe considering being a CFO, to. Um, talk to some it's not the perception out there is not what it really is i I actually think it's more of you're an executive manager of the company it's it's not just i mean you're also doing numbers but it's not just that it's everything and it it gives you such a good view of the business and how businesses work and how other businesses work and for me that's super interesting it's not all boring it sounds like it would be boring like oh cfo how boring but no it's not
0: Special thanks to Elaine Bogart for being on the show. You can find her on LinkedIn if you'd like to say thanks yourself. Know anyone who would be great for the show? Send an email to our senior show producer, ben.hillman at paddle.com. Also, please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the podcast. We'll see you next time on Beyond the Budget, a podcast from Paddle Studios dedicated to helping you build better SaaS.